0: Let's now turn for our scripture reading and our text to the book of Zechariah, chapter 11. We'll read through this whole chapter. Open your doors, O Lebanon, that fire may devour your cedars. Wail, O Cyprus, for the cedar has fallen, because the mighty trees are ruined. Wail, O oaks of Bashan, for the thick forest has come down. There is the sound of wailing shepherds, For their glory is in ruins. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruins. Thus says the Lord my God, feed the flock for slaughter, whose owners slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, blessed be the Lord, for I am rich, and their shepherds do not pity them. For I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will deliver them, and I will not deliver them from their hand. So I fed the flock for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called Beauty and the other I called Bonds, and I fed the flock. I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. Then I said, I will not feed you. Let what is dying die, and what is perishing perish. Let those that are left eat each other's flesh. And I took my staff, beauty, and cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. So it was broken on that day. Thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages, and if not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages thirty pieces of silver. And the Lord said to me, Throw it to the potter, that princely price they set on me. So I took the thirty pieces of silver and threw them into the house of the Lord for the potter. Then I cut in two my other staff, bonds, that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. And the Lord said to me, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. For indeed I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand. But he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces." Woe to the worthless shepherd who leaves his flock. A sword shall be against his arm and against his right eye. His arm shall completely wither, and his right eye shall be totally blinded. Congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, no doubt uh, this is the darkest uh, chapter in this prophecy of Zechariah. There is little hope held out at all. And some might conclude that there appears to be no hope at all in this passage. And uh, it seems like uh, there there's even a con- a contrast between the message here of Zechariah and the theme that we've been considering throughout this book, that uh, theme of hope, the hope of, of restoration, the rich promises of God's mercy and grace to his people. In fact, it might even seem that there's a conflict with that message of hope and uh, restoration in this chapter where it sounds as if in in the place of hope we have nothing but judgment here. Well, we must remember and we must never forget, and the scripture in its perfect balance really doesn't allow us to forget if we pay attention to the fact that the gospel message of salvation and the gospel message of certain hope in Christ is not a guarantee of peace and restoration and happiness regardless. Regardless of how people live. Regardless of what they do with the whole word of God. Grace is not a free pass to live in sin and then expect to die in the hope of a certain heaven to come. God's love is not like a blanket of comfort for people who will not part with their lusts, who want comfort, but don't want to do what God says. And there is a day coming when the message of hope will be heard no more. And then it will appear that that word of grace that they've heard proclaimed, that word that should have fed their souls, only left them as though fattened for the slaughter. That's imagery that's used in this passage, as in other passages of Scripture. It's dark, it's solemn. The king who is foretold in this passage, uh, the shepherd uh, who is prophesied, he will come. But we're reminded even in this passage, long before he appeared, that for so many, the greater revelation of grace will mean their greater doom For having rejected it. There's nothing but judgment for those who reject the good shepherd. I know that's not a very cheerful theme. And we'll see that this passage itself is not without hope. But it wouldn't be true to the text to tone it down. It wouldn't be faithful to this passage to fail to give emphasis on the certain judgment that will await those who reject this good shepherd. Because that's the message of this passage. And we want to hear it with reverence and faith. We want to hear that devastation that's announced from the very opening verses. It's like the opening verses of this passage uh, picture a holocaust of ruin. It describes forests of great trees that are toppled and consumed by fire. The cedars of Lebanon, the, the great oaks of, of Bashan. These forested areas that were the, were the pride and the beauty of Israel's lands. Trees that were a source of wealth. Trees majestic in their grandeur. Trees that served as material for glorious purposes. The building of Solomon's palace. The building of the temple. That temple of Solomon, actually that temple that had already long ago been burned. But the temple that is now being built will actually face a far worse and a final destruction that is yet to come. But we need to appreciate the fact that majestic trees are sometimes, actually quite often, uh, they're used figuratively in Scripture uh, to depict people. Uh, We have one such instance in the prophecy of Ezekiel uh, chapter 31, where we read in in uh, verse 2 and 3, the word of God to Ezekiel, son of man, say to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and to his multitude, whom are you like in your greatness? Indeed, Assyria was a cedar in Lebanon with fine branches that shaded the forest. And so continues this passion describing Assyria and the king of Assyria with the implication that just as you are exalted in power and authority, you will be brought low like uh, this great cedar tree. So it's a very frequent kind of image that's given in scripture. Think of uh, Nebuchadnezzar and the vision that he had of a great tree that was cut down. And we might even conclude that there is figurative language in this prophecy, even as the trees are depicted as wailing, as weeping in their destruction. And along with that, we have a description of shepherds and lions that wail and howl. There in verse, uh, verses 3 and 4, there is a sound of wailing shepherds, for their glory is in ruin. There is the sound of roaring lions, for the pride of the Jordan is in ruin. Now that's a description of, of leaders, leaders of the people, who will see the utter ruin of their pride and of, of their glory. It's interesting that in the book of Revelation, the kings of the earth, the merchants, the shipbuilders, they throw dust on their heads. They're described as those who uh, weep and wail at the fall of Babylon in that instance. In the 18th chapter. And that's a picture that's not uh, unrelated to this, this message and this depiction here in Zechariah. Though in a different context. Because it certainly is a depiction of the things that the people of this world take pride in. What they boast in. Coming to utter ruin, facing absolute desolation and loss. And that's the message. In fact, both leaders and people are here described as beyond God's mercy. The Jewish leaders of Jesus' day, they really fit the description of the, of the wicked shepherds that are, that are described here the owners of these sheep for slaughter. Slaughter them and feel no guilt. Those who sell them say, Blessed be the Lord, for I am rich. And their shepherds do not pity them. Listen to the woes that Jesus pronounced upon the false shepherds of Israel, the scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. We can't read the whole chapter. The whole chapter is just devastating in its indictment against wicked leaders, Woe to you, we read in verse 13 and 14, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men. For you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in, rather than exercising those keys of heaven and proclaiming the good news of Scripture. They shut up the kingdom of heaven. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses. There's the language of consumption. They prey upon the weak. They rob and steal, and for a pretense make long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. Continuing verse uh, 25. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of extortion and self-indulgence. In his conclusion to this, this indictment against the leaders of Israel and the people of Jerusalem, he says, see, your house is left to you desolate. Desolate. That's the occasion on which Jesus wept over Jerusalem and pronounced horrific judgment upon them. In verse 6, we have a description of of uh, people that indeed appear to be beyond pity and beyond hope. I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But indeed, I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. The Romans would destroy Jerusalem and the temple in the year 70 A.D., 70 years after the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ under these powerful Roman generals, Vespasian, who then became emperor, and his work was followed up, completed by this general Titus. The Romans lay siege to Jerusalem, a terrible siege, with horrible suffering taking place, terrible starvation, internal violence, factions within uh, Jerusalem itself, fighting one another, another, devouring one another. The temple was burned. Thousands of people were crucified. You can read about such horrific judgment in the prophecies of our Lord Jesus, in the history recorded by the Jewish historian Josephus. And this was a a terrible fulfillment of the prophecy of Zechariah here in our text. It was a terrible judgment of people who refused a a message of grace revealed in the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Devastation is announced. And the greatness of that devastation, its horrific tragedy, must be seen in the light of grace offered. Zechariah's words in this, this passage. In fact, his actions and, and even the response of the people that's recorded here. It's, uh, it's impossible really to connect that with any historical accounts of his ministry. In fact, what we really ought to see here is a prophecy of Christ in such a way that, that Zechariah himself really, really disappears behind uh, the good shepherd in his description here. And we are to hear grace offered uh, by one who feeds the flock. Feed the flock. The Lord commissioned Zechariah. So I fed the flock. Oh, that was our Lord Jesus' commission. He came as the great shepherd of his sheep, and he fed His people with knowledge and understanding. He taught the people of the kingdom of heaven. He taught the people of the kingdom of God. He revealed the Father to them. As the one who sent Him. Who is the way, the way to the Father. The one in whom God's truth and faithfulness is revealed. The one in whom there is life. And even his enemies acknowledged that no man spoke like this man. Gracious words came from his lips. And words of divine authority as he spoke of the Heavenly Father and the character and the life of the kingdom that he announced. Not like the scribes and the Pharisees. Grace was offered by one who fed the flock. By one with two staffs. Right? A shepherd holds a staff, right? That's a symbol of, uh, of his work. It's actually a, a tool of a, of a shepherd's work. And caring for the sheep. Drawing them back from trouble. Managing and handling them. But here is a shepherd depicted with, with two staffs. You'd think they would get in the way of his work. But it's an idealistic picture of an ultimate shepherd. With two staffs that are described here as belonging to one who ministers grace and peace. So I fed the flock, we read in verse 7, for for slaughter, in particular the poor of the flock. I took for myself two staffs, the one I called beauty, and the other I called bonds, and I fed the flock. There are different marginal renderings for these words. The first beauty uh, is often rendered uh, improperly so. Favor or grace. God visited his people in the Lord Jesus Christ. The law was given by Moses. Grace and truth came by the Lord Jesus Christ. He proclaimed, he revealed God's favor And it's such a favor that results in what? Peace. The bonds of unity. Reconciliation with God and with others. That's the nature of Christ's work, a work of grace, revealing God's favor. The fruit of his work is unity and peace. If you had known in this your day the things that belong to your peace, Jesus cried, Now they're hidden from your eyes. Grace was offered by one with two staffs, by one in opposition to false shepherds. In verse 8, I dismissed the three shepherds in one month. My soul loathed them, and their soul also abhorred me. And this is a notoriously difficult verse uh, to interpret with certainty. It's like there are endless efforts to identify these three shepherds, and I think it makes more sense to understand uh at least the likelihood of these she, three are symbolic, perhaps, of different offices. Some have suggested that they represent offices of prophet, priest, and king held by unfaithful people. Some have suggested that they refer to the scribes and the Pharisees and the and the high priest, perhaps. But even that's doubtful. And I think it's probably better to understand even the number uh, three as symbolic, referring to a, a kind of completeness, a representation of false shepherds whom the good shepherd dismisses, whom he loathes for the damage that they do, and who loathes him. Remember the words of the Good Shepherd when he says, all who came before me were thieves and robbers. Now, that's not a description of every prophet, every servant of God before the Lord Jesus Christ, but it's a description that sums up every leader, every teacher that failed to point to Christ and came in pursuit of their own self-interests. Thieves and robbers. And our Lord Jesus Christ dismissed them, removes them in a short time. It's a picture of his zeal. It's a picture of his faithfulness. Grace is offered by one in opposition to false shepherds. And then the picture changes, brothers and sisters. And we read that grace is offered by one who cuts his staff, his staffs, both of them, In two. In verse 10, And I took my staff beauty, and I cut it in two, that I might break the covenant which I had made with all the peoples. This revelation of grace and favor, being rejected and despised, there's a withdrawal. There's the end depicted in this act of judgment, breaking this staff. And then in verse 14, then I cut into my other staff bonds that I might break the brotherhood between Judah and Israel. Rather than reconciliation, the restoration of a people united in the worship and service of God. Further division in God's judgment for the rejection and the refusal of grace revealed in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, our Lord Jesus Christ reached the point of that description that's given in verse 6. I will no longer pity the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord, but indeed I will give everyone into his neighbor's hand and into the hand of his king. They shall attack the land, and I will not deliver them from their hand. Yeah, it's described in, in Matthew chapter uh, 23. Verse 32 and following, where the Lord Jesus said, Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. On you will come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from the blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, the son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Not a reference to this Zechariah. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation, whose house is left to them desolate were judged in that horrific destruction of the temple and the people in 70 A.D. Why? Again, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were not willing. The good shepherd who offers grace is rejected, We know that Judas betrayed Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And uh, that's the value placed on Zechariah's ministry. Again, it's hard to connect this with any historical event, uh, but we read in verse 12, Then I said to them, If it is agreeable to you, give me my wages. A, A laborer is worthy of his hire. The servant of God is worthy of payment. If not, refrain. So they weighed out for my wages 30 pieces of silver. And in this prophecy, the Lord communicates clearly that this is an insult. The Lord said to me, throw it to the potter, that princely price, they said on me. There's sarcasm here. Oh, yeah, a real princely price. Enough money for uh, the potter to replace a few broken, worn-down bricks of the temple. Or enough money to purchase a field in which to bury strangers. Or enough money to remunerate uh, for a dead slave. Those are some of the associations with 30 pieces of silver. But in every instance, the point is, it's a paltry sum of money. It's a contemptuous amount. And what it says about the value placed upon the word of God. But in this passage, brothers and sisters, we must hear more than an indictment against Israel in Zechariah's day. We must hear more than a judgment against Judas, who sold our Lord for 30 pieces of silver, or a judgment even against the Sanhedrin, who accepted it, recognizing it was profane money, blood money, so they bought a burial place with it. But we must see more than that. We must see that, in a way, we're given a parable of the value that people place upon the Lord Jesus. And we can conclude that even in Matthew's description of this transaction. Judas acknowledged he'd sinned against innocent blood. What's that to us? You see to it. He threw down the pieces of silver in the temple. And departed and went and hanged himself. But the chief priest took the silver pieces and said, It's not lawful to put them into the treasury because they are the price of blood. They consulted together and bought with them the potter's field to bury strangers in. Therefore that field has been called the field of blood to this day. Then was fulfilled what was spoken by Jeremiah the prophet. It's also a reference to um, Zechariah, but Jeremiah is mentioned specifically. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the value of him who was Christ, whom they of the children of Israel priced, and they gave them for the potter's field, as the Lord directed me. The Holy Spirit includes this reference to the valuation placed upon the prophet by Israel. And that consideration should lead us to see more than simply an indictment or judgment against Judas or the Sanhedrin. Rather, we are to understand, brothers and sisters, we are to understand that left to ourselves and our sin, so we would treat the Lord Jesus. So we would evaluate him preferring a shiny object to him whatever it might be whatever kind of material pursuits that people would value more than the lead the lord jesus christ whether 30 pieces of silver or a huge bank account or shiny toys or whatever it might be left to ourselves we would we would value material possessions just like judas above the savior Or we would value our pleasures, a tickle in our bodies, some temporal enjoyment that leaves us jaded. Or the fickle approval of other people like ourselves, mortal people, other self-centered people. And yet their approval means more to us by nature than the favor of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or a temporary buzz, a high that quickly passes away, just leaves people craving for more. More pleasures that never satisfy. Left to ourselves, brothers and sisters, that's the way we would evaluate the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to be astonished at the fact that by and large people are absolutely, utterly disinterested in the Lord Jesus Christ. People who live in this country in which our national holidays, many of them, yet commemorate events in the life of this Savior. People who live in a world in which our very time is dated after His coming. Do you know anything about the Lord Jesus Christ? No, not really. Are you interested? No, thanks. While they're eager to take hold of every lie, every distortion of the Christian faith that will justify them and their rejection of the Son of God so that they can follow their own pleasures. That's how we all would evaluate the Lord Jesus left to ourselves. We would go our own way. This dark chapter really holds out two options, doesn't it? The good shepherd either saves poor sinners or he leaves people to the consequences of their own mad and sinful choices. There's one more scene in this prophecy, the judgment of the worthless shepherd. In verse 15, the Lord in effect says to Zechariah, okay, now I want you to impersonate a foolish shepherd. He was commanded to uh, take two staffs. He was commanded to uh, take the implements of a good shepherd. And then in verse 15 we read, Next, take for yourself the implements of a foolish shepherd. And they're not really described. Kind of leaving us wondering, well, what, what, what they would be. What kind of things might characterize or mark The foolish shepherd, a fork and a knife, perhaps a bottle, perhaps a money bag. Those kinds of things would fit the description of the foolish shepherd. Utterly materialistic, utterly self-centered, utterly set on gratifying himself at the expense of other people, that fits the description, doesn't it? It fits the description in verse 16, where the Lord says, I will raise up a shepherd in the land who will not care for those who are cut off, nor seek the young, nor heal those that are broken, nor feed those that still stand, but he will eat the flesh of the fat and tear their hooves in pieces. God in judgment. It's clear, isn't it? I will raise up such a shepherd. God in his judgment will raise up a deceiver. God, in his judgment, will raise up a spiritual murderer to lead people to destruction. False prophets throughout history match this description. Certain persons and leaders are described here. We actually have kind of an ultimate uh, description of a foolish shepherd, a false prophet, a man of sin, a deceiver given to us in the New Testament book of Thessalonians, where it says the lawless one will be revealed, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. For this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie that they all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. What a solemn prophecy concerning a spiritual deceiver and murderer who is raised up in God's judgment against those who refuse the good shepherd. That's really what it amounts to. Yeah, God's going to judge that man of sin too. He's going to consume with the brightness of his coming, by the breath of his mouth, when he comes in glory. This foolish shepherd is judged with the certainty of God's woe. Woe to the foolish shepherd who leaves the flock. A sword shall be against his arm, stripping him of every power and against his right eye. A shepherd is to be a a seer with discernment. He's foolish. His arm shall completely wither and his right eye shall be totally blinded. God's going to judge the false shepherd. Every false shepherd. Ultimately the epitome of the false shepherd and the man of sin. Beware of false prophets. That's what our Lord Jesus Christ told us in the Sermon on the Mount. Beware of false teachers. Beware of those who would stand at the broad way and say, enter the broad way. It's easy to be a Christian. It will cost you little or nothing. Just pray a prayer asking God to forgive you. And then you can be sure that you're going to heaven no matter how you live oh yeah, there are such teachers. Maybe not, they wouldn't put it quite that way. But it's a message without a cross, a message promising your best life now, a message that appeals to people's covetousness and greed and selfishness. Beware of false teachers. Yes, they will receive greater judgment. There's no question about it for leading people astray. But the fact is that the people that they lead astray are still lost. They're still condemned by following their lies. There is no safety outside of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is only judgment for those who reject the Good Shepherd. That's the message of this chapter. There's no question about it. That's the warning of this passage. And we might say, is there no hope in this chapter? Is it all darkness? Well, we will not say that, because the passage itself doesn't allow us to do that. You want hope, brothers and sisters? Well, you find hope by finding yourself among the poor of the flock. Zechariah was commanded to feed the poor. In fact, he says, I I fed the poor, or I I fed the flock, particularly the poor of the flock. In fact, even this language of of sheep for the slaughter, that that appears to be picked up by the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 8, where he says, we are counted as sheep for the slaughter as he with other Christians faced opposition and persecution as they followed the Lord Jesus. And it appears that the poor among the flock, that is those who are humble, those who who tremble at God's word, they're described also later on in this passage uh, where we read that uh, thus the poor of the flock who were watching me knew that it was the word of the Lord. When the staff of favor was broken, there are those described as the poor of the flock that knew what was happening. You know that there were there were also many Christians in Jerusalem at the time in which uh, Titus devastated the city and destroyed the temple, and there was a brief period of reprieve. The siege was lifted for a few days, and these Christians they fled and they went to Pella, and they were safe there because they understood what was going on. They believed the Scriptures, and they were preserved as a remnant, Jewish believers. And there no doubt was a remnant in Zechariah's day, and there has been a remnant among the the literal descendants of Abraham down through the centuries. And there will be to the very end of history when the Lord Jesus Christ comes again, all Israel will be saved. This hardening is never total and complete. There is always a remnant according to the election of grace. And we hope that there is a very large remnant and they may be appear in great numbers along with a rare, very large number of, of those among the nations that are yet to be saved. But God has a remnant. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus said, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You are identified with those who who cherish this message of favor and grace in our Lord Jesus Christ. You receive and believe in his word. You seek to follow this good shepherd. You hear his voice. You want to do his will. Oh, you can find yourself secure in this passage among the poor of God's people who are safe, who are secure. Because this good shepherd gives eternal life, and uh, no one's going to pluck them out of his hand. He's going to save them with an everlasting salvation. That's our refuge. It's in the good shepherd. There's no hope outside of the shepherd, only judgment. But all who take refuge in this Savior are secure and safe, saved with an everlasting salvation. Amen.